welcome to People's Church Podcast. We're going to continue with the valleys as we've been talking about, and today we're going to be talking about the Valley of Elah, E-L-A-H. Now, you don't have notes because our printer went on the fritz just this morning, and uh, so you won't have any blanks, so you won't have any, yeah, clap. That's, you don't have to fill anything in. You still have to pay attention. The Valley of Elah is a valley that separated the Philistine army from the Israelite army. It's recorded uh, back in 1 Samuel 17. And it's a story you probably learned when you were just knee-high to a grasshopper, or many of you would have. It's the story of David and Goliath. In that story, we find two conflicts we're introduced to. And I want to track that with you into the New Testament in just a bit. One thing we know about conflict is that it's constantly a part of our human experience. It's a constant part of the experience between nations. Right now, how many conflicts are there in the world going on? Just unbelievable. War is basically one fight that just continues and just starts all over and keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. This idea that somehow we can end all wars comes from the, an idea that says that we have the capacity to stop the things that we want to stop. Well, we just read about the tongue and how hard it is to even control that one member of our own bodies and that nobody is perfect on this. In fact, the tongue has got you into more wars and conflicts than anything else that's a part of your body. Your physical experience with your own tongue has sunk you in relationships. It has brought you into uh, difficult situations, I'm sure, at work and different times. It's just part of how we're wired. And this world is wired in the same way. So conflict is something that you and I want to be able to understand from a biblical, godly perspective. What is it that we can do? And how can we actually begin to uh, bring quarreling in our life to an end instead of being always lighting these fires all over? Conflict is something that everybody hates. Isn't it amazing that we are so good at creating it though? But we hate it. We don't like it. We don't like when relationships don't work and we don't like when anger is so fully expressed and we don't like cutting people down or being cut down. We don't like it. It's not that we are in love with conflict. Nobody I know loves conflict. If they do, they're really, really sick, okay? So conflict is something that most of us would rather avoid. In fact, we hold back from honesty sometimes just because we don't want conflict. We hold back from making decisions that would propel us forward, but just because we want to avoid conflict. Conflict is is just a, a part of your everyday decisions and everything that you're doing. It comes to even simple things. When you're driving. I say when you're driving, not the other person. I didn't say the other person. You thought the other person. When you're going about just your daily business and your routines, you're going to find that you are a part of creating conflict and you're a part of conflict being created around you. David was in that kind of situation on this day. Because it's such a well-known story, I'm not going to take a lot of time with it. But in this story of David, we find two different conflicts that emerge. It wasn't just the conflict with Goliath. The conflict with Goliath was in the name of the Lord. It was a spiritual conflict. He went at Goliath 
in the name of the Lord. He treated this like, this guy's, this guy's calling God down. He's calling the armies of God down. Who does this guy think he is? Why isn't somebody stepping forward to take him out? He treated it like a spiritual conflict. Human conflict took place before that. And it was with an older brother. And we don't often pay attention to this part of the story. But I want to take a little bit of time and focus on that one today. And we'll end with some of the spiritual conflict this morning. Look at verse 28. We're just going to skip right on through really quickly here. So go right to verse 28. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, how many here have an older brother? How many here are the older brother? (laughs) Okay, got it. Uh, So I have older brothers and I'm an older brother. So I get this. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. Ooh, I sense a conflict coming. A sibling conflict. These two brothers. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. Because what David was doing is he was bringing supplies his father had set aside for his brothers who are in this battle. And he said, take it out to your brothers. And so he's doing that. He's just still teenage uh, age, somewhere in there. And David is, has just delivered it. And he's heard, uh, you know, this challenge from Goliath. It's been going on for 40 days. And this is the first time he's heard of it. And then he begins to ask questions about it. And then the brother kicks in. And the brother comes and he creates a conflict with this younger brother. He cuts him down. He uses his tongue. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? Ooh, cut, cut, cut. See the tongue? Here we find a basis of human conflict. I know about your pride and deceit. Ooh, attack. Assume motivations. You just want to see the battle. David replied, I was only asking a question. Human conflict is the big ground of conflict that we have a lot of say in. So what David does with this, he picks up five smooth stones, I'm in verse 40, and he, from a stream, and put them into his shepherd's bag, then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David that you would come at me with a stick. Conflict. He was a man of war. Goliath was a battle-hardened guy. He, he knew how to fight both with the physical strength and with his tongue. You're just a ready-faced boy. Am I a dog? Come with me with a stick. And then he curses David in the name of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. By the way, his spear, 16 pounds on the end for this guy. 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This is a spiritual battle, David is saying. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled there will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. I think you know the end of the story. And the end of the story is David moves towards him, lets fly with a stone, catches him and sinks in the middle of his forehead, right between the eyes kind of deal. This guy stumbles, falls down. David finishes him off with Goliath's own sword. Two conflicts. Human conflict is something that's founded in, in, in pride. Listen to this scripture. And I pick it up a little bit from where Lynn left off in chapter 3. I'm in now chapter 4 and verse 1 through 10. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. This is an interesting assessment It's an assessment that all conflict is internal. It first starts within the internal. It doesn't start in the external. It starts inside. All war starts inside the heart of men. And same with relationships, everything. It all starts right on the inside. I mean, this is, conflict is the kind of thing that has been around forever. The belief in, in the world is this. You have got to take care of yourself. You have got to make your own way. You have got to look after yourself. Finish these these sentences for me, because I think you know the finish. Just yell it out, okay? First one, you ready? Finish this one for me. You've got to look out for number... Good. You've got to learn to blow your own... Sometimes you've got to beat your own... I'm glad you said drum. I've got to do what's best for, my tastes are simple, I simply want the, it's expenses, but I'm, come on, oh, worth it. Common phrases, what do they reveal? So much of this inner world is revealed in those particular phrases. Our view is always about ourselves. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? He goes on and he writes in a very practical way about this. You are jealous of others, of what others have. But you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. By the way, that's the world system. You've got to climb over top of people. You've got to actually get ahead. To get ahead, you have to do this. Whatever you do, earn money. If you can do it with ethics, do it. But whatever it takes, do it. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Well, it's very simple why they wouldn't ask God for it. Why wouldn't somebody just ask God for it? Well, actually, it is quite simple. Why would you ask God for it when you only see yourself as the provider and you're going to use all of your strengths and energies 
for looking after your own climb up the ladders of life. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Because the prayer will end with, start with you and end with you. There's no glory to God. And even when you ask, you don't get it because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So we say, God, serve my needs. Serve my interests. Serve my goals. Serve my mind. And that's why he's stressing this so strongly. He says, you're not going to get anything from God with that. If it begins with you and ends with you, and there's no God in it, your prayers or asking of God will fall on deaf ears. If you want to be a friend of the world, I'm skipping down a little bit. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? It makes you an enemy of God. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud. Not because he's, oh, I'm just going to do that. It's because pride is the most self-destructive element in the human heart. It is the sin of the devil. It is the core sin that anchors all other sins. Somehow that self, where everything begins with me and ends with me, feeds and is the ground into which all other sin emerges in my life. But he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil. Oh, that's spiritual warfare now. First we have human conflict. Here's why you have human conflict, because it's all in here, it's about you, and that's it. Then he now goes into conflict that is with the enemy, spiritual warfare, spiritual conflict. And he says, here's the whole key. Humble yourself before God, then resist the devil. Because if you're going to stand in your own self in these things, your innards line up with the enemies. When you surrender those things, when you humble yourself before that, then you can resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Come close to God. How? Humbleness, surrender. And God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Another verse tells us, don't be surprised if you're not going to get anything from God when you have this divided loyalty. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. The foundation of conflict is pride and envy. Pride, we've already introduced you to a little bit. It's just all about self starts and ends with self. Somehow, everything that you do, and we can even take service to God. We, 
we can be fully Christian in the sense of our faith in Christ's blood to forgive us. But our hearts can be filled with pride and even take service that we give, not a worship to God, but somehow a lifting up of ourselves. This is a great caution. Envy is a little different. Envy is, envy is something where you look at your neighbor's lawn and it's so green. How many have a neighbor who has very green grass? Let me ask this, how many, how many have very brown grass? How many have very weedy grass? How many don't have grass? Envy is when I look at my neighbor's lawn and I see it's so green and I say, man, I wish that that lawn, my lawn could be as green as his. Envy is when I say, man, I want my lawn green like that and I want his to go brown. Ouch. Pride and envy. Envy puts us into this competitive situation with people around us that causes us to fight and kill for what we want. Jesus said murder is not just the physical act, it's anger in the heart. Sins are, begin all within the heart before they ever make it to the actions of the rest of your body, even the tongue. So the foundation of conflict is pride and envy. These are the base of self. This is where the self without God, uh, when we have an old self as believers, we, that's how it exists in pride and envy. Desires, and it speaks about it in, in here. Desires can be good, but when ruled by the self, morph into lust. And there's a difference between desires and lust. I hope you have desires. I hope you have a desire for great relationships. I hope you have a desire for better situations for you. I hope you have a desire for better practices in your life. I hope that you have desire for change where you need it. I hope that you have some really good desires. I, I, I know, I think it's resident in all of our hearts. I think we have some very good desires. But desire, once it's ruled by self, will turn into lust. And lusts are something where we move back into that pride and envy. And our desires are now ruled by our own pride and our envy of others. So destructive. What does pride do to relationships? Well, it produces misunderstandings. Produces misunderstandings. Misunderstandings are, are something that happens because we don't have good ears. Pride is horrible for our ears. In fact, we can't even really hear others if pride is leading our ears in that moment. We'll shut down the ability to understand. And then you get misunderstandings. There's a story that was told about a, a boy who, was a past, who had a dad who was a pastor, a little town, little town. And he was a very prominent fellow in the town. And this little boy used to go around and say, I am Pastor Jones's son. We'll throw that one in there. His mom thought that was kind of cocky and snobbish, so she said, don't tell people you're Pastor Jones's son. Just say, I'm Tom. A few days later, a guy asked Tom, aren't you Pastor Jones's son, Lamar? This, this boy said, Tom said, I thought I was. 
but mom says I'm not. How many know that's a misunderstanding right there? <laughs> the Bible says it's not on there, but the Bible says in Romans 12, 16, living Bible, don't act big and don't think you know it all. Pride only breeds quarrels, Proverbs 10, 13. It also provokes arguments. Arguments are the idea that we are now in it to win it. We have become prosecutors. We are arguing case. It's no different than standing in a courtroom to argue the case against. It might be your spouse. It might be a boss. It might be a brother or a sister. It might be your mom or your dad or just a friend or whoever it might be. The guy that was driving and cut you off. You are put going to a time of argument where I'm going to argue my case. If you're playing prosecutor a lot in your life, it's hurting your relationships. It's destroying them. Because it's fed by a pride. It also prevents intimacy. Pride prevents intimacy. How can we grow close together when pride wants to take everything around us and use it for its own advancement in becoming bigger? The ego wishes to be in charge. How can an ego that wishes to have all of the food on the table ever share in a relationship with somebody else what's on that table? It postpones reconciliation. It causes you to know that there's an out, but I'm going to hang in here. I am not going to step into this kind of uh, uh, humbleness to own my stuff. Mark Twain said, temper gets us into trouble, but pride keeps us there. Sure does. Reconciliation is really big in God's list of things. And why? Because, of course, he gave Jesus, his son, for reconciliation. So it cost him the most precious thing. So it's really big in his agenda with us. But pride keeps us from reconciling, and therefore we end up with this permanent no man's land in many of our relationships where nobody dares try to bridge to you. So what does envy do in relationships? Envy's a little different. Envy will cause outright conflict because it will cause you to take action to see that your neighbor's lawn goes brown. You're not just good enough for you to have a green lawn. You're cheering along the fall of others. You cheer along the failure. Oh, what an opportunity that gives me. It may be at work that you see this present and the temptation to fall into this. Could be in your home. Could literally be with a neighbor. The point being, it causes you to conflict very directly with those that have fallen and you to build yourself up off of that because somehow in this current wind, you are on top. It also kindles resentment. Envy does. Resentment. 
Because how it works is we wish that person's lawn was brown. But when it stays green, or when you see their advancement, or you see that it causes great resentment in you. You resent other people being blessed or having good things happen to them. Envy also creates miserableness. What is that? Well, miserableness is both a state of character, but it's a state of emotion, but it's a state of character. There are just miserable people. It's not just that they're emotionally miserable. I mean, every filter in their life is controlled from miserableness. The world is bad. There's no hope here. This will never change. Uh, they drawn to just all the bad news scenarios all of the time. Envy. Envy is something that can't celebrate other people's life. And if you can't do that, you can't celebrate your own. Romans 12, 3 in the Phillips says, as your spiritual teacher, I give this piece of advice to each one of you. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance. But try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given to you all. What's he saying? Very straightforwardly, all that he's telling us is quit thinking so much of yourself. Quit thinking that such an exaggerated importance for who you are. Don't try to make that a goal because behind that will be envy. Don't try to exaggerate your importance. Have a sane estimate of your capabilities. Don't overestimate these things. Don't overestimate yourself. Be in touch with that. This is a big deal. This is one scripture that if you're a young person, grab it now, learn it, get it into your heart. It will help you so much through life. If we're older, I think what's definitely adjustment time if we're still living this out where we are living out exaggerated ideas of ourselves and of our importance and he says you have a sane estimate of your capabilities the only reason you're exaggerating it is because in behind that is simply envy you're playing the ladder of value Proverbs 20 verse 9 says who can say I have kept my heart pure I am clean and without sin See, that would be an exaggerated estimate of yourself to say, I have kept my heart pure. I am clean and without sin. It's not me in this relationship. It's not me. It's not me that got us into this financial thing. It's not me. It's not, it's not me. It's my parents. It's not me. It's my brother. It's not me. It's... Have a sane estimate of yourself. And recognize God's grace. Paul said it best. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He said another thing, there go I, but by the grace of God.
in this particular scripture. In James 4, 7, he, it, it says this, what are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? Uh, 1, 7, sorry. What is it that all, all of you have, and if all you have is from God, why act as though you are so great and as though you have accomplished something on your own? It's all by grace. Everything you've got, everything that if you made a gratitude list out today, it is God-based. God has allowed and blessed and given you these things. You were born in a country of advantage. You have received some of the best things this world can possibly offer. You've had opportunity upon opportunity. You have all kinds of things that God has allowed you to live out. You are not disadvantaged if you were to look around the globe as others may be in some of these things. And yet they, them, they also must look at what they have by the grace of God. Don't be puffed up. It's not you. It's grace. It's not because you're special or above the crowd. It's grace. You haven't accomplished something on your own. It's been given to you. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Where does it all come from? From above, coming from the Father of heavenly lights, our Father in heaven. This is an antidote. You must accept your humanity. You must recognize God's grace. And you must experience unconditional love. Accept your humanity. You are flawed. You are only received good things because of grace. You've only grown and changed because of grace. Anything of good in your life has come from the Father. Recognize that grace. Recognize your humanity. Recognize God's grace. Experience God's unconditional love. Ephesians 3:18 and 19, and you may be able to feel and understand as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, how high his love really is and to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great that you will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last you will be filled up with God himself. Why is the unconditional love of God so important to dealing with things like pride and envy? Because once you are filled with unconditional love, you don't have to worry about proving who you are. You don't have to worry about any ladder. You don't have to worry about your value. You don't have to look at life through just that negative competition and climbing over the next guy. You don't have to buy into, you know, I... I, I deserve it all and, and I'm the center of the universe and I want that long brown and this one green to affirm that and show that I'm better on this block. You don't need that kind of lifestyle or thinking simply because you are filled with God's unconditional love and you recognize that with all of your flaws, with all of your humanity, you are loved without condition. Without condition. 
without flaw. When others want to prosecute you, they will do so. Do what David did. He ignored that conflict with his brother and just moved right away from it. He wasn't there for human conflict. He understood his purpose in life was not to be found in human conflict. It was to be found in fighting for God. Standing up on the battlefields of life in spiritual conflict against the real darkness of life. The consumer of souls, the one that wants to drain you of anything possible as good that God might put in you. And he doesn't quit that math just because you are a Christian. He's always interested in sucking out of you anything good. And when you get caught in human conflict, you cannot resist the devil. The Bible tells us, don't let the sun set on your anger. The Bible tells us that we are to go and make right things where we know things are not right and be the peacemaker. As far as it is, Jesus said, possible for you, make peace with all men. More or less, the war doesn't find a footing out of you. If they're at war with you, they're at war with you. This is something of great maturity for a Christian. To be able to understand that human conflict takes you out of the real conflict that God has you here for. The enemy loves to stir up broken relationships and stir up all kinds of things through the use of the tongue and all of the other elements that we have been blessed with. So that that will weaken our lives and take us out of the actual battle, which is the battle which is for our families, our children, our generations, our friends, our our enemies. Love those who despitefully use you. Now, I want to conflict with them because they shouldn't do that. You're just using me. Human conflict takes you out of the real battle, and it's the battle with Goliath. He could have stood and fought with his brother Eliab on that hillside and made his trip to that battleground all about Eliab. And again, oh, here we go again. Eliab, you never are there to reinforce my value. Eliab, you've been nothing but a critic my whole life. Eliab, I am just tired of talking to you and hearing you talk to me. Eliab, just shut up. Eliab, leave me alone. Eliab. That isn't what he did. This wasn't Eliab's first knock on David. David had developed a different heart. David had developed a heart, it's identified as a heart after God. What does that look like?
it looks like accept my humanity, recognize God's grace, and experience his unconditional love. And then understand what the big conflict is. Romans 5, 8. Yet the proof of God's amazing love is this, that it was while we were sinners that Christ died for us. <laughs> There's the model. While we were sinners. That means while we were in conflict with God. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to even think about you. I am not interested in you. Or even worse, well, I'll just keep you on the sidelines over here. Uh, God would rather you be, by the way, hot or cold, not lukewarm. Just sort of, yeah, I'm a little God thing. You know, I got, I got God. That's lukewarm. While we were yet sinners, he loved us. He died for us. How about if we apply of that math to all other conflicts? He did to the conflict we were having with him. That's what the cross is about. A spiritual conflict, one verse, one verse only, James 4, 7. <clears throat> so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Where in your life is he doing his worst damage, but is hidden behind human conflict? Where is he doing his worst damage in your home, in your relationship? Where is he doing his worst damage in how you're living in this world around you? Get right with God. And get right with people. And humble yourselves before God. And then resist the devil. And he's going to run from that every time. Because he has no ammo. He's exposed. He has no power in the face of a humbled heart before God. Would you stand with me, please? <clears throat> Fathers, we bow our heads before you. There's going to be parts of this message that kind of ring the bell. A wake-up call. We're fighting with the Eliabs of our life. We're not even getting to the real battle. We're not fighting your battle. We're fighting our battle. But it's, it's the enemy that's taken down all that matters to us. Because we're blinded by pride and envy with the self. And we're caught up with the arguments and the quarrels around us. Father, I pray that just be in this room and watching online just a little acceptance of our humanity that we are so flawed and we need your grace and that we would be humbled by that we wouldn't try to make ourselves more than we are I pray that around this room Lord 
there'd just be a reinvigoration of the battles that we're in that really matter. To recognize every argument on the human level is going to bring weakness on the spiritual level. That every time that I'm going to just act out of self, causing quarrels, causing fights, causing these things in my life, I end up being a loser on the big field of, of the battle, the big field where I need to have conquest. We are here for your purpose, Lord. We are not here for ours. We are here, Lord, to carry out your purpose in our lives, in our families, our, our spouses, our kids. Lord, places we work, communities we live in. Father, we are here for a much bigger purpose than fighting our way with people through life to prove something about ourselves that doesn't change anything about the love of God. We already have your unconditional love. If you're here today and your head is bowed and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, He offers you unconditional love. He knows every part of your history, but that's not what He assigns value to. Your value has been determined when Jesus came, the Son of God, and died on the cross and gave his life for you. He rose from the dead so that he could offer you eternal life, free from sins, made righteous with God, living in God's home forever. Prepare yourself by exercising the faith that you've got, and it takes nothing but a little seed and I'm going to offer a prayer if you've never received Christ that you can welcome him into your heart right here. Maybe on your couch at home right now. Father, to be honest, I'm really tired of conflict. I shrink back from it and yet I create it and it's created around me and I respond in the wrong ways to it and I just get conflict going. that. I want to fight for bigger purposes. I don't want to waste all the good that you're giving me on things that really don't matter. Forgive me for my sins, living out of a self that's ruled by pride and envy. And I receive the grace that you bring for that. Thank you for forgiving me for these sins, past, present, and future. I receive, I receive the love of God into my life. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior. For us as believers, the Bible's very, very clear. We can waste, we can waste, we can waste, we can waste it. Evaluate how much conflict is created through you and how you respond to conflict created by others. Are you fighting Eliab on the side of the hill and missing the big story and the big purpose? 
because that's where God's going to show up. He's not going to show up in your fight against Eliab. He's going to show up in your fight against Goliath. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us. And empower us with new power. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.